We are continuing our series in our marriage series called For Better, For Worse, and we have been week by week just looking at this topic of marriage and relationships, talking about how to put together better, stronger, more fruitful marriages and relationships, talking about conflict resolution. Didn't Pastor Seth do an amazing job last week talking about not just singleness, but, but aloneness and how we deal and how it's really Christ that's supposed to complete us? Uh, and this week, I want to talk about the, the topic that wasn't just indicated by you, but is also the number one cited reason for divorce. It is the number one cited reason for couples who get divorced that they say, here is the, here is the kind of the biggest issue that we faced. And we, we surveyed hundreds of you and you all indicated with an overwhelming majority that this singular issue was the one thing that more of you struggle with than any other thing. We asked, what was your main struggle? And more than 50% of you said this one thing. All the other things didn't add up to how many of you said this thing. And this thing's a real personal thing. And it's not about bringing up kids. It's not about conflict resolution. It's not even about sex. The number one issue facing marriages is money, finances. And everyone just got nervous. Hey, can we talk about sex? Money's a little personal, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> We want to talk about finances today, and I'll promise you up front, nobody's going to hit you over the head with the Bible, and I'm not going to twist your arm to do anything. But what I want to talk to you about today literally has the power to transform not just your marriage and your relationship, but your whole life. Money can be used positively or negatively in your relationship. And more people cite financial stress and financial struggles as being the primary thing that constantly never stops being a pain in their relationship. This is the one area, and maybe you found this in your relationship, that we seem to constantly butt heads over. There's constant friction. Maybe some of you have already had a failed marriage, and you look back and you say, that was the one thing that was just always there, and it never went away. And so we want to ask the question, how can we use our finances to come out in our marriages for the better? And I have good news today, and I have some suggestions on how we're going to do that. But there are some obvious reasons why finances is such a consistent issue in marriage relationships. One is it never goes away, does it? Like financial pressure and decisions never goes away. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. doesn't matter what economic bracket you're in. It's always in front of you. In other areas in your relationship, you might have, uh, you know, areas in, in child rearing or maybe intimacy. These things kind of ebb and flow. You can, in fact, get away from those things. But when, with your finances, the bills keep coming. The pressures and decisions keep coming in front of you. You constantly have to deal with it. And so it's this thing that's always rearing its head in your relationship. It never goes away. And what we find is this, nothing exposes our differences quite like money, does it? Do you notice that when you got married, you found out one of you financially is the gas pedal and one of you is the brake? Anybody, anybody find that in your relationship? One of you, you're, you're the credit card swiper and one of you is the credit card cutter. One of, one of you is cautious and one of you is just, woo, let's just buy everything, right? Like that's pretty much because opposites do attract generally. And most of you, most of us have some differences and they come on full display. Our personality differences become fully apparent when we get married, specifically in this area of finances. Also, our family and our cultural and our value differences come to the forefront in our finances, don't they? Because you are, you are the product of your upbringing and you are bringing the thinking of the household into your marriage and so is your spouse. And I don't know if you found this, but when you got married, you kind of had to figure out that equilibrium. That's why we don't like our in-laws because they do everything wrong, right? Isn't that it? 
I remember the first Christmas Melanie and I had. She grew up with Christmas one way, the wrong way, and we grew up with Christmas the right way. And uh, my spending at Christmas was a problem for her, right? And like these things kind of come to the forefront in our marriage in this area of finances. It never goes away. And here is probably the number one reason why it just seems to not ever go away is this, because it, 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 let me know if you've seen this, anybody who's kind of, you've maybe, how many of you are making more money than when you first got married? Good, congratulations. Um, I've noticed this, that the more money that you have, it doesn't actually solve the problems in your relationship. In fact, sometimes it can, comp- it can compound the issues that have been culminating over the years. Anybody found that? It, it, Christopher Biggie Smalls, may have been right when he said, you know what, the more money you have, the more problems you got. <laughs> Quote that, right? The notorious B.I.G. More money, more problems, right? And it's actually true. I know there's this idea, some of you are newlyweds, you're like, you know what, once we make more money, all of this tension will be relieved. Ha! <laughs> That's funny. No, it won't. It won't. Your money has an ability to actually compound the issues that you're facing. And this is why it's so much pressure and can be so divisive and destructive in marriage relationships. And so I want to ask the question today, how can we understand finances and understand how and why it has the power to either negatively or positively affect our relationships? Here's the first thing you got to understand about money, though. Money isn't actually powerful at all. Money only has the power that we give it. Money, if we want to understand it, is a medium. Money is currency. It's representing something. It, it, it's just paper, isn't it? At the end of the day, a $50 bill, although there's value associated with it, it only has the value that we have given it. It really is just paper. Well, now it's plastic, right? But it's just a piece of paper. It's currency. It's a medium. And we've got to understand this if we're going to kind of get a handle on this for our marriages. Your money is not the problem. Money is nebulous. Money is not good or bad. In fact, the Bible says, I know, I know this gets misquoted a lot. The Bible says that, uh, some people say that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. No, the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And we'll get to that in a minute. Money is nebulous. Money is not good or bad. Money can be used for good things or bad things. You can use money to to build a building. You can use money to to buy a car. You can use money to bless somebody in need. Money can be used for good. Money can also be used for terrible things. It can be used to promote addiction. It can be used for sex trafficking. It can be used for all kinds of things. Money only is as powerful as that from which it is coming from and that to which it is given. Money is a medium. And so if we're going to get victory first and foremost in our marriage in this area, we've got to understand it appropriately. Money is a medium. The same way that a word, a word is the currency. It it's expresses our thoughts, isn't it? A word is a medium. A word is your thought given in currency. Money are your values in currency. That's what money is. That's why money isn't good or bad. And so we have got to understand it that way, that money is a medium and money is a multiplier. And this is good news or bad news. Money has the power to compound, multiply, expand, and extend that to which it is given to. 
So if it's, be, if, if it's being used for destructive ends, it can actually make more destruction. But on the contrary, if it's being used for constructive ends, it can make more construction. It can actually be the thing that blesses or buries your marriage if you don't handle it right. So we've got to understand money is a medium. Money is a multiplier. Money is a magnifier. It's just going to reveal and extend what's already in there. This is why there's this great documentary on ESPN. Uh, They run this series called 30 for 30, and they do these documentaries. There's one that follows dozens and dozens and dozens of professional athletes who came out of poverty They grew up on welfare, they signed million dollar deals, and then within years of being retired, they're broke. Why? Because they never learned how to handle money. Money handled them. This is why, is it three quarters? Three quarters of people who win the lottery are broke within two years. Because money is not the answer or the problem, their thinking is. So we've got to understand that we have an opportunity with finances, that your finances do have the power to be a very divisive and destructive thing in your relationship and those of you who are single in your life. This applies to you as well. Or we can take finances and we can understand it appropriately and if we engage them appropriately, it can actually be something that brings strength and blessing to your marriage and to your life. So if I had a title today, I, would ta- I, would, I want to call my, my talk this, changing your marriage on a dime. Oh, <laughs> money has the power to make or break your relationship. You can bring positive change to your relationship through the power of finance. Sorry. Okay. I do legitimately have three things I want to suggest to you today that if you, if you turn your finances in these, this direction, you will actually bring strength and blessing to your marriage in an area that was actually bringing division and destruction. Or for those of you who are single, many of what I'm going to talk about, much of what I'm going to talk about is going to apply to you. But three turns that will bring positive change to your relationship. Here's the first one. Are you awake? Are you with me? Everybody good? I'm not going to hit anybody over the head today. I'm not going to, we're not going to take an offering at the end of this. I promise. Uh, I don't, I don't get a raise if you give more. Like it doesn't work like that. So relax. I'm here to help you. I want something for you, not from you. And I have applied these things to my life and it has changed everything. Here's the first thing. This is for married couples specifically and this is gonna apply to singles later on. Here's the deal. The first term we have to make, we're gonna bring positive change into our relationship through finances. We have to, number one, turn to each other. We have to turn to each other. If you are married, we have to find what is marital unity in this area of finances. Now to say marital unity, that's pretty redundant if you understand what marriage is actually, what actually it actually is. To say marital unity is, is saying two words that mean the same thing back to back. It's like saying maple leaf's disappointment. It's like saying the same thing. It's redundant, right? You, you, can, you can do them, you understand. We, understand, we, we, we defined marriage a couple weeks ago, didn't we? We said that marriage is, is a covenant, not a contract. Yes, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. It's not this mutual agreement where we decide to cohabitate and coexist. Marriage is actually where two people, literally through what the Bible calls covenant, through a vow before God and to each other, merge as one person. You are literally before God, one person. He doesn't see the two of you. He sees the unit. You are we, not, not us. Or we, we, not me and you. You know what I'm saying? Jesus said it like this. Let's review Matthew 19. He said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into, say it, 
into one. They are no longer two, but yeah, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So when the Bible talks about people who are married, they have literally become one. And this oneness affects every single part of your relationship. It affects your values. It affects your decisions. It affects your schedule. It affects your priorities. It affects what you do. It affects everything. It is oneness in every part. There's not one compartment of your relationship that is separate. It is the complete merger of two people into one. That's what a covenant marriage is. The Bible even says this about sex, that we're supposed to be one in that. Look at what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, 3. I'm about to give some dudes a memory verse. This is, this is words to live by. Look at this. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Thought there'd be some amens or some, maybe some elbows. Uh, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. It's oneness. There's a memory verse. Give me some guys reading their Bible this week. Hey, honey, just read my Bible. 1 Corinthians 7.3 says, it says the wife needs to give permission of her body over to her husband. Amen. Right? You're going to be get some preachers out of you. On praise break. Bum, 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 bum. No? Google, Google praise break. Go home and YouTube praise break. You need to do that more in church. But the Bible says that we are one person in every single way, even the most intimate ways. But here's the deal. Many of us in our relationships and in our marriages, there's a lot of marriages, a lot of Christian marriages who are divided in this area of finances. You haven't fully become one. You haven't fully merged. You've actually kept separate something that God wants to bring into oneness. And so there's a lot of you that have two bank accounts, two expense lines, two revenue streams. You divide it, you cost share, you cohabitate. You say, hey, you're going to pay for this. I'll pay for this. Here's how, here's how much you need to pay for. Here's how much I need to pay for. Y'all, that's a contract. That's not a marriage. And I'm going to say this for some of you. I know there's a lot of you already crossed this bridge and a lot of you got married and you're old school and you became one, but there's, there's a lot of thinking in the, in the mainstream. This is a Christian value. Where if you get married, you are becoming one flesh, and it's all of you for all of me, and I'm not holding anything back, not even my finances. I don't have a secret savings account. I don't have a secret checking account. We are fully one. That's what it means to be married as a Christian, to actually become one. So for some of you, you, you literally are divided on everything. You have two separate everything. You need to become one. For some of you, you might have one fund. But in actuality, you have one person who's entirely in control and the other person has no say. That's not oneness. That's called a mom and a son. That's called parenting. If you give your spouse an allowance, you are not one. Full on. Some of you are laughing. That there's that, some people have that arrangement. I'll handle the money. You get this. If your mentality is, hey, I'm the breadwinner. I make the money. I make the decisions. Sorry, bro. It's not how it works. If you are the breadwinner and she stays at home and raises the kids, or if she just stays at home and twiddles her thumbs, you're one. That's her money. Some of you got married and you actually had a prenuptial agreement. You actually said, hey, I have so many millions that I can't trust if you're going to marry me for me or marry me for my millions. So we're going to have a prenup. Look, as a Christian, I can't justify that. As a Christian, I would tell you this. If you have so many millions or billions, uh, can we talk? And also... Uh, <laughs> I would say this, if you can't trust that person enough to fully commit, marriage is not for you. Don't get married. If you can't trust them enough to know they're not going to take you for your money, don't get married. It's not going to be worth it to you. 
Marriage is the complete surrender, the complete trust into the other person. And I know for some of you, you're like, why are we talking about this? This is so obvious. There's a bunch of you that aren't living that way. And I'll say this to you in love. A house divided, Jesus said, cannot stand. And if you at the core of your house are divided in this area, you are set up for division and destruction. And this actually gives the enemy, it gives the devil a place to access your relationship. This is why there seems to be so much division around your finances, because you're divided. A house divided cannot stand. Couple ideas for coming together in, in finances and turning together in this area. First thing I would say is this, if you, if you want to jot these down, I know for some of you this is, this is obvious, but for some of you, you really need to run with these things. You need one fund. You might have multiple bank accounts and this account and that account, but at the end of the day, it's not my money and her, your money, it's our money. These are our funds, we're together in this. You need one singular financial identity. It's our money, all of it. You need equal influence. Number two, equal influence. Both of you need to be able to speak into major decisions. Both of you. Day-to-day decisions and major decisions. One person cannot dominate. That is dictatorship. No allowances, no allotments, our money. Number three, trust and surrender. You need to lay down your rights. You need to lay down your rights to operate for the better of the covenant. Defer to one another. That's where it gets really difficult. Number four, I would say leverage your strengths. Here's the deal. Uh, just because we're one doesn't mean that we're going to, it's like equal opportunity. If God has given, you know, if one of you is a Fortune 500 CEO executive and you are brilliant with finances, you're being stupid to share equally the decisions. If God has gifted one of you in one area and the other in the other, you need to defer to your strengths, but be submissive about it. It's like for my wife and I. My wife's way, way better at the day-to-day detail. She's way more on top of, hey, we got to pay that bill, and we didn't do this, and we got to do that. She keeps handle on that. I'm better at the forward stuff. I'm better at deciding what's a good investment. I'm better at saying, yeah, we want this, and I'm better at squaring up finances and all that. So we've divided according to, to, our, to how we think and our strengths. So you need to come together in that. Number five, last, last one, and this, is, this might step on some toes. No secrets. No secrets. No secret accounts. No secret spending. You're one. Full transparency, full disclosure. All right, everybody breathe. Because that might hit some of you. That might hit some of you that uh, maybe you have one account, but you've kind of got some secret stuff on the side. You're one flesh, and marital unity, financial unity, brings marital, marital strength. So you need, first and foremost, this is the most obvious and hopefully the easiest turn that can turn everything. Your marriage will be 100 times stronger if you guys just get together in your finances and stop being divided. So we need to turn together. That's number one. All right, that, that hit a group of people that need to make that adjustment. The rest of you, you're like, yep, got it, awesome. So here's the second turn. I want to suggest to you, and this is where uh, this is a greater number of you are going to need to consider making this shift in your life. It's one thing to turn together so that there's no room for division among you, but that just because you're unified doesn't necessarily give you the answers or the power to be able to deal with what's coming against you. How many of you know life is hard? 
And it just seems like expenses keep coming wave upon wave, curveballs keep coming wave upon wave. And it's great to be unified in that, but sometimes we can be unified in our stress about how crazy this is all getting. Can I get an amen? Yeah. We know how that feels. And so here's the second turn you need to make when it comes to your finances. We need to turn to each other first, but then as a unit or as an individual, those of you who are single, I want to suggest this for you as well. This applies to you. You need to turn to God. You actually need to invite God into your financial picture. And this is where the rubber meets the road for a lot of our faith, because the same way a lot of us, when we were talking about, you know, we were joking about our finances being that very personal space, for a lot of us, our finances are that last bit of personal space and authority that we keep from God. The same difficulty that we have trusting our partner, our spouse with our finances, we have that even more difficulty trusting an invisible God with it. But here's the deal. If we learn to turn to God with our finances, we are inviting Jehovah Jireh, we're inviting God, our provider, into our financial picture. And when we do that, when we align our lives to say, God, I need you in this picture, we are actually arranging our lives in such a way that it brings a strength that we did not have without him. And so you got to learn how to turn to God with your finances. Many Christian couples don't have God involved. And so the way that we turn to God is by putting him first. You actually put him first with your, with your wealth, with your finances. You say, God, I am going to worship you first and I'm giving you this space. And when you put God first, it puts everything else in order. This is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. It's about arranging your life with God first, putting God and giving him the authority to say, you're going to determine how things go in my life and you're going to determine how things go. I'm going to worship you no matter what. This actually brings a strength to your marriage. We have to put God first. Now, Jesus taught us on this, and he taught us about why it's so important, specifically with our finances, to learn to put God first, and why it's so destructive when we don't. I want to show you a passage of scripture that has been quoted, but not the whole thing, because it's a little confusing. So I want to break it down, because it is brilliant. This is Jesus preaching, and he's preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. This is like his, his thesis. This is like his, his big statement about what it means to live in the kingdom. And I want you to look at this with me. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 19. Are you awake? Are you with me? It's, it's, it's always a little bit like giving a filling when I'm preaching about money. I always find like, oh, hit a nerve there. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, this is good for you, I promise. Look at verse 19, Jesus says this. This is why it's so important as individuals and especially as couples that we learn to understand and appropriate our finances before God and we turn to him. Look at this. It says, don't store up treasures. I, f I offended that little one, apparently. Uh, hey, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in, break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, this is important, there the desires of your heart will be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for the body. This is where it might get confusing. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think that you have is actually darkness, that's important. If the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. 
For you will hate one and love the other, and you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, what is he talking about there? There's a bunch of things in there. Some of it seems obvious and evident, but what's the connection? What's he talking about, about the eyes, the lamp, and where your treasure is there, your heart is, and moss and rust? What is he talking about? He's helping us understand the power that finances have in our lives and the fact that we are not objective about it. He first says this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He's saying that your treasure will reveal what you worship. Your treasure will reveal your true master. He's saying that if, if you, you should be able to follow the paper trail, that, that what you do with your resource, that how you utilize your resource is going to tell the full picture about what your God is or who your God is. Because here's the thing. He says, you can't trust yourself to objectively be able to know where, who your master is. This is what he was saying when he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is dark, but you think it's light, he's saying this. He's saying nobody thinks they're greedy. Nobody thinks they're greedy. Not one of you. If I walked around here this morning, we passed the mic and we, we, we turned this into celebrate recovery and we just said, hey, let's just deal with our issues because we all got them. Amen. Y'all should check out Celebrate Recovery on a Tuesday night. They don't pass the mic around, so don't, don't think that. But if we went around, we just said, hey, what, what are you dealing with? Someone would say this, and someone would say, I'm struggling in this area. You say, I'm struggling in this area. Not one of us would say, you know what? I'm just a greedy bugger who wants more than I deserve. <laughs> none of you would say that because none of us think we're taking too much. None of us think we're being selfish. All of us think, yeah, I believe in God and I serve him. And Jesus says, that's great, but what does the paper trail say? He's saying, because you can't trust yourself. You might say, I'm, I believe in God. And yes, I've invited him into our life. And yes, I've given him authority over everything. And he's saying, no, 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 the, the, your treasure will tell the full story. He's saying your treasure is actually going to reveal what your God is and that you can't trust yourself to determine that just, just objectively. You are completely blind to it. He's saying, if the light you think is light is actually dark, how dark that light is, or how, dark, how great that darkness is. You see what he's saying? He's saying that how you spend your resource and what you do with your resource will tell the full story about what you ultimately value and trust. And then he says, no one can serve two masters. It's either going to say that I truly trust God because I have put my treasure at his feet, or it's going to say, I trust myself, I trust my income, I trust my own ability to generate wealth, and if I can involve God, I will. It's going to say one or the other. It says you can't serve two masters. You either serve him, you either serve God, or you serve money. It's one or the other. And here's the, here's the warning that Jesus gives us. If you serve money and you don't serve God, he, what does he say? He says, don't, don't serve money. He says, don't store up treasures on earth because what happens? They, dis, they get destroyed. They don't last it doesn't last. He's saying decay and, and loss and lack and poverty affects earthly riches is what he's saying. He's saying it's under the spirit of poverty. It's under the spirit of lack. He's saying don't store your treasure there. He says give your treasure to God where what? Where the, the lack and the poverty doesn't affect it. You're actually, it's an eternal investment and it is protected by God. 
He's saying when you turn your treasure over to him and say, God, you have authority over my household. You have authority over my income. You have authority over my wealth. I want you to determine what I do. When you do that, he's saying you're bringing heavenly favor and protection into your finances. That's what you're doing. When you tithe, when you put God first, what you're doing is you're breaking the curse. You're breaking the curse of the spirit of poverty and lack. You're breaking those things. And you're saying, God, you have broken the curse and I'm giving you permission to do it for me. That's what you're doing when you put God first. When you take a portion of your income every week and you say, hey, God, uh, so that I can know that you're my God, I'm putting the paper trail at your feet. That's what the tithe is. And I don't have time today to teach on the tithe and how it's 10% and all that stuff. Look, if you just covenant before God, it says in Corinthians, each should give a portion of their income in keeping with their income, a percentage. And you need to put that at the feet of God. If you start doing that, you invite the favor of God into your, into your finances. And a lot of the stress that you have, a lot of you who are married, a lot of the stress that you have isn't because you're divided. It's because you don't have God fighting for you in it. You are on your own. You haven't invited, but I have seen, and I'll testify to this, I have seen, as my wife and I, at every stage of our marriage, we did it from day one, we, we came in and we said we were going to tithe 10% right off the top, we're putting it at the feet of God, and we're saying, first things first, I seek you, I can't afford to not invite you into this picture, and then we're going to be generous on top of that, we have done that from day one, and I'll tell you what, I made very, very, Uncle Don, very little money when I got hired here. <laughs> And God has, God has increased me as, uh, over the years and my wife, and, and we're in a different financial picture now. But I'll tell you what, we are no more stressed out and we, are no more, we, we feel no more blessed today than we did that day. You know why? Because at every stage, we put God first and invited him in and we were fulfilled and we've been satisfied and we have been blessed and protected at every single stage. That's what happens. That's why the tithe is a tenth. It's not an amount. It's a percentage. Why? Because it, it's a scale. And the lie where you're telling yourself, you know what, I'll give, I'll give when I have more. That's a, that's a lie. It's harder. The more you have, the harder it is to give. The more you have, the harder it is to give, a, give 10%. It's a bigger spirit you have to break. But at every stage, you say, God, I'm putting you first. And when you do that, you are rewarded with his favor and his protection in your life. Let me read you a scripture. Look at this. I want you to hear reward. Y'all, you can leave here and never give a dime to the church. You never give a dime to God. That's your decision. I want to invite you to something that is better. I'm not trying to bop you over the head to say, hey, you're not a real Christian. I'm saying if you start trusting God with your income, it will change everything. I guarantee it. Look at this. Malachi chapter three, Jesus, uh, God says this. I am the Lord and I do not change. That means, does that count for today? Yep. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. He's saying, I've protected you. Does that count for today? You see Israel still on the map. Isn't it amazing you look at the history of Israel? Like God it keeps his word, period. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? What, when do we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. You are under a curse. There it is. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And that day it was the temple. Today it's the church. So there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. Wow. 
I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Only place in the whole scripture where God says, test me. Try me. Only place. Elsewhere, it's a sin. Your crops will be abundance, favor. I will guard them from insects and, and, and disease. I break the curse. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Here, here's the principle. If you give God access into your treasure and you make him your treasure, you use your treasure to worship him and you don't, you don't allow yourselves to be had by it, but you use your treasure to actually treasure God, what happens is you invite the favor of God into your life. And here's the thing. He said, I'll bless you so profoundly. He says, the nations will call you blessed. What's that mean? He says, I want to bless you and establish you in such a way that your neighbors are going to say that, 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 that family, they're Christians. That's, that's a man of God right there. That's a woman of God right there. You can see the favor on their life. You can see something's different about them. God's saying, if you order your life before me and trust me. Now, some of you are looking at me like I had a conversation with a good friend of mine not too long ago, and he was asking me questions about the faith. He's not totally sure where he's at on it. He goes, tell me about like, tell me about your life. He goes, tell me about the money thing. It's like you and your wife literally give 10% of everything to the church. Like, yeah, we give more than that, actually. We give 10% to start, and then we give however God directs us after that. 10% is just so I can know that God's my God. But I give, I give above and beyond that. And he goes, hey. so, so you're telling, like, and he goes, why do you do that? And I go, well, I do that because it's a commandment. But I also do that because I know when I make that space, I invite God into my life and I see his favor working out in my life and my situations. He goes, come on. He goes, so you're telling me you never get a flat tire, your transmission never dies? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not telling you that. I, I, things come against me all the time. My wife and I have things coming against us all the time. It's not that. It's just that what is working for me is greater than what's coming against me. And I've seen time and time again, God tip things in my direction. It just keeps happening. And even with the things that happen that are bad, I see God turn those over for my good every time. I look back over my life and I say, God, that test becomes a testimony and that burden becomes a blessing. I just see God doing it over and over and over and over again. Why? Because I've trusted him. I said, God, you can do this better than me. I see it all the time. Y'all, I, I can't even write this stuff. Last week, I drove to Halifax Sunday morning I might have been speeding. <laughs> and I went, I went, I had to get there. You try and get there for 9.30 a.m., all right? So um, Pastor John and I, were, we were making good time. Let me just say that. And we come, we're coming through Sackville. You know Sackville, and it comes down the hill, and then there's that, there's that area where it's like New Brunswick slash Nova Scotia. We're coming down, and I'm, I, you know, it was a hill, so I was coasting a little fast. Anyway, justifying my, my, my speeding here. And I went by a cop. He flipped the lights on. I thought I lost him, but he followed me. He, fo he followed me to the Irving. He followed me to the Irving where I got gas. And I, I come out after with a bag of food. And, and there he is sitting beside my car. He pulls right up so I can't get out. And he goes, this your vehicle? And I go, yep. He goes, you know what you were doing? I go, yep. And he goes, uh, hop in. I'm going to pull you over. So I get in. And he comes out. And he uh, comes up to the window. And uh, I, I didn't roll the window down because no one does this, right? No one does this anymore. Kids, this is how we used to roll our windows down. Um, I pressed the button and he comes up and he goes, you know how fast you're going? I was like, ish. And he goes, yeah, well, you deserve the $300 fine, but I'm going to give you the $100 fine. How's that sound? I go, well, if I have to have a fine, it sounds about like I saved 200 bucks. So thank you. And, uh, and he goes, I'll be right back. And he goes back to his car. He's there for like 15 seconds. And he comes back out and he comes up to the window and he goes, well, God must love you. 
because I don't have any tickets left, so have a nice day. <laughs> and, I, and I like up the window and drove off to Halifax, and I got to preach this message about how things tip in my favor. I was like, you know what? God slowed me down so I didn't die. I was being an idiot, and I deserved a ticket, but I didn't even get a ticket, and I got a sermon illustration. That's how things go for me, because I've given God permission. You got to trust God. If you look, y'all, I'm, I'm not trying to bop your head over the Bible. It's like, get out there and go get tithing envelopes. I think you should because I think it's a benefit for you. I just think there's a benefit. I've seen it in my life. My wife and I, we, we wouldn't trade it. I, I remember having this conversation with my daughter. One, one week she was in here with us and we handed her our tithing envelope to put in the bucket. And she looked at the amount and for her, little, for her mind, like that was so much money. And she looked at it and she goes, Mom. Like, she's like, can we afford this? Like, she knows, right? <laughs> like, don't worry about it. But I got to talk to her later that night. I said, no, we can't. We can't not afford to. Because so when mom and dad give that, you know what we're doing? We're saying, God, you're our God. And we trust in you. And you have access to everything. And this is so that we can know and you can know that you have access and we need you on our side. That's why we give. So we need to turn to God. If you turn to God, it will change everything. Here's the third turn. I'm going to be done. I told you it wouldn't be long. Number three. So turn to each other. If you turn to each other, you're going to bring unity. And where you're unified, you are strengthened. This is why the prayer of Jesus. You know what the prayer of Jesus for the church was? That we would be one. Why? Because in our oneness, we will not be overcome. It's the same in your marriage. You turn together, you're going to be stronger than you were before, I promise you. Some of you who are like even married to, to people who don't believe yet, if you can just even get on the same side with this, it's a biblical principle. You don't even have to be people of faith. If you can just kind of get lined up and get unified, you're just going to be stronger together. So we get strength from unity. We get God's protection when we trust him. We turn to God and you allow him, you start tithing, start giving regularly. You're going to invite God in your finances. You're going to get God's protection and his provision. The third turn is going to get you promotion. God is going to start promoting you. Here's the third turn. So turn to each other. Turn to God. Turn number three to turn your relationship, your life on a dime. Turn to others. Turn to others. This is about intentional generosity. Ben, you can come back and be done in two seconds. Intentional generosity. When you start to become a person who is trying to be generous, you're becoming like God. When you start to look for ways that you can be generous, you start to look to, to, to be a blessing, here's what I've found to be true in my life and here's what I find in the scripture. God loves to bless those who love to bless. Think about that for a second. God loves to bless the people who love to bless. He loves to come to the person who he knows if I give him that, he'll be faithful to me with it. And if I ask him to do something with it so I can bless others with it, I know I can trust him or her. I know I can trust them. God loves to bless those who love to bless. It says in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, give and you'll receive. Your gift will turn to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, make room, make room for more. It's running over. Pour it into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give, you get back. Here's a great proverb. This is a memory verse. I think about this all the time, especially times I feel prompted to give. I have to quote this to myself because sometimes God asks me to be generous in ways that I feel like it's a little crazy. Like I did, I did it two weeks ago. I did something that, that I felt very much called to do. We're in a season where it seemed a little luna, luna, like crazy to do, but I trust God's word. God says in Proverbs 11, a generous person will prosper. 
A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. If you become a person who lives with generosity, you're going to start to find the hand of promotion on your life, that God will just bless you. And I've seen anybody seen like you, you, you go out and you be obedient and you just do something that's kind and generous. You show the love of God to someone else. Have you ever seen that God just always seems to outbless you? He, he ends up returning the blessing. Sometimes it's money for money. Sometimes it's time for money. Sometimes it's money for time. God loves to use all the resource at his disposal. There's been times where God's blessed me financially for something I did with my time, and I knew it. There's been times where God's blessed me with quality time for something I did with my money, and I knew it. If you give God control of all of it, he can use it to bless you. The point is this, give, and it will be given to you. He who is faithful with little is faithful with much. I've seen this in my life. I know many of you have seen it in your life, and I want to challenge some of you as married couples. Start being generous and watch how God blesses your relationship. Start being generous. Seen it in our church. This is why we do Love Week. Those of you who are new here, this fall you're going to get a chance to participate. Every fall we do, we take a week where we take one offering. Everything that we do here is an offering. Everything that we do here is charity. Everything that we do here is generosity. We take one week where we concentrate it and we just say, let's go crazy for a week. And we take this one big offering. We've done it four times now. And in the four years, uh, we're, we're up, we're like, I don't know, almost $700,000 we've given away in four years to, to different people in need and charity and, and, and different groups. And it's amazing, yep. Here's the crazy thing, though. What we have received because of that is so much greater than what we've given. Like we've seen people come into the kingdom. We've seen God bless us in number. We've seen in a time where churches are closing their doors, and churches are, are, are being done, and, and the, the word about the church is that the church is not healthy. We are seeing the most fruitful days in our whole existence. Look, even, even financially, even financially, I will say this. You know, four years ago, uh, when we started, if you, if you look at when we started Love Week, and we started doing that practicing generosity intentionally, and we do it all year round, but that specific week, since we have done that, our overall giving at our church has grown fourfold. Not onefold, not twofold, not three. We're four times. Like that, y'all, churches are clothing, closing and, and we are seeing God promote us. Why? Because we practice generosity. We surrender to God. We say, God, it's all yours and we want to be available to do what you want us to do. And you want us to take us a week, take a week and just give everything away all at once, we'll do it. And as we've done that, God just keeps blessing us with more than we could bless others with. And he loves to bless those who love to bless. He knows that King's Church, he knows he can give King's Church more. Why? Because he knows we're not gonna hoard it. Look, having money is not a sin. You need to hear that. Jesus never rebuked anybody for having money. In fact, people who followed him, there were people who followed him who were, who were rich and wealthy business owners that actually funded his ministry. There's one person that he rebuked for money. It was the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to him, very wealthy man, said, what must I do to, to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, for you, you've got to go and you've got to sell everything and come follow me. And the Bible says that the guy went away dejected and sad because he knew he couldn't do that and he couldn't part with his stuff. And the reason that Jesus rebuked him was not that he had money, it was that money had him that his, the object of his affection was his stuff. And this is what Jesus is saying. You can't serve God and money both. You will serve the one and hate the other. 
So if you can make Jesus, if you can make God authority over your finances, if you can do that, if you can covenant with him and say, God, you have access and you practice generosity, you're going to see things change. Why don't you stand up and I'll pray with you. So if you didn't hear it, some of you who are married and you're not unified, you need to get on the same page. Turn, turn to each other. Some of you need to start trusting God with your finances. If you want to talk more about that and what that looks like, I can do that. Or one of the pastors or one of our team at the tent would love to help you take your next step there. I just challenge you. Some of you, just do something generous this week and watch if God doesn't, doesn't bless you. You watch if he doesn't. You'll see it. I promise. He loves to bless those who love to bless. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that if you said it, it will happen. It will come to pass, God. We thank you as for those of us that have put your word to the test on this. I can look over my shoulder and I can see that you're, you're, it's true. And I've seen it happen. I pray for faith for those of us who are maybe here today that this seems like a big stretch and this seems like a personal thing and I'm not sure I can trust you. God, I pray you give them that measure of faith that says, I will invite you and I will not serve money. I will serve God and that I will use, I will use everything I have to serve you with it. And so Lord, I pray you just for freedom. Pray for freedom in that area, God. I pray for unity in marriages in this area, God. I pray for the one who might be uh, having a hard time releasing control. I pray for grace, God, just for them to be able to lay it down and say, hey, when I said I do to you, it means I all the way do, and there's nothing I'm holding back from you, and so we're going to get unified in that. So, Father, I pray just for your blessing. Lord, I just want to I just want to ask, and I want to speak over our body, and I want to speak over the marriages in this church, and I just want to just declare that the spirit of poverty and division is broken in Jesus' name. And Lord, that you would release just a unity and a strength like never before. God, as people turn to each other and they turn to you and they turn out to others. Lord, I pray for just increase. I pray for prosperity. I pray for uh, just the, the breaking of the curse and the spirit of lack and poverty in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that, that the, the households represented in this church the marriages and the families represented in this church, that the blessing on them would be so evident that their, their neighbors will call them blessed. And I pray that in Jesus' name and all God's people who agreed said, amen. amen.